good morning, good afternoon, good evening, uh, whatever time it is, wherever you are tuning in today to A Voice from the Ever Change. Actually, that's not it. That's my <laughs> old introduction. Uh, fix it in the mix. Uh, this is actually the Brahma Viharas series. <clears throat> but if you're curious about A Voice from the Ever Change, that was last week last month, <clears throat> which was a lot of fun. But we're now we're on to bigger, not bigger and better things, but now we're on to different uh, topics. Uh, here we are uh, going over the Brahma Viharas, uh, which are loving kindness, passion, joy, and equanimity. And today is a Q&A slash presentation session. Uh, I got a couple of questions uh, over the course of the week that I wanted to address. And then I want to talk a little bit about uh, John Lennon's uh, hit song, Imagine, and how that canon, I believe, was probably intended to be something of a meditation practice very similar to the metta practice of loving-kindness that we've done here uh, over the course of the week. So not much meditating today. I'm not going to guide any meditations, uh, really. I'll ring the bell just to come into silence, just to come into the present moment. Then I'll ring the bell again, and I'll go into these this talk. And so the first question I want to address today is actually about the meditation bell. I got an interesting question uh, about what did they do uh, before they had singing bowls or meditation bells? How did they start and stop a session? What is the importance of the meditation bell? Why is it used? And so forth. Actually, uh, this is a, apparently a true story. I've got no reason to doubt it. Um, but before they were singing bowls, before there were meditation bells, uh, to start and stop a practice, uh, monks and nuns uh, used to light a stick of incense. And presumably, maybe it was just the, the lead monk, maybe it probably wasn't the whole group, but there would be a, a, a stick of incense lit and put in between somebody's toes. <laughs> it might have been maybe the newest group, uh, newest member of the group. Anyway, uh, they would stick the incense between those, and when the incense burned down and started burning uh, the poor practitioner's toes, that's when the session was finished. So uh, we've come a long way. We've saved a lot of toes since then. Uh, now, what I do recommend is uh, getting a meditation timer. Uh, and there's a free download that I use, and I don't mind plugging it. I'm not 
invested in this group in any way financially. They're not paying me to advertise for them, but they do have a great uh, app. It's called Insight Meditation Timer. Uh, it's a free download. Uh, their bells sound amazing. They sound as good as my singing bowl. Uh, I use a real singing program. But often when I teach, uh, if you've gone to my website and you listen to some of the recordings, uh, some of those recordings I'm using the app, um, Insight Meditation Timer app. You can't tell the difference between the singing bowl and the app. Uh, it sounds almost exactly the same. Uh, now, I am familiar with the Insight Meditation Group. They're out in Los Angeles. I've actually done a few retreats out there at that center in uh, Redwood City. Beautiful, beautiful spot and some really, uh, really wonderful teachers there as well. However, they do have, uh, they have guided meditations on their app. And I can't speak to the guided meditations. I've never used uh, one before. Uh, I've been meditating long, long before any of these, uh, this technology was available. Uh, so I've never used a, a guided meditation app, so I can't really speak to that. Um, now, the, the question also included a, a, a part about what is the importance of a singing bowl? And different traditions use it in different ways, actually. Some, some traditions out of Tibet, actually, Tibetan medicine uh, uses the singing bowl as a modality. Now, I'm not fluent in that type of teaching. I don't actually know much about it. I've had uh, one uh, Tibetan singing bowl uh, treatment by a young practitioner here at the New Life Foundation uh, several months ago, and that was an exquisite experience. It was really, really uh, wonderful. It kind of felt like I had just gotten acupuncture, uh, but I, I didn't have any needles uh, stuck in my body. So that was uh, really quite nice. So there's that form of, of uh, using a singing bowl. Uh, some uh, schools or meditation practitioners use the singing bowl as kind of a, a repository of trust, so to speak. And I kind of like that idea. So anytime a bell is rang, you come back to the present moment, so. And as soon as that sound is there in the aural field, it's a way of bringing one back to the present moment. So, uh, and Thich Nhat Hanh of Plum Village uh, puts that in his teachings. Anytime the singing bowl is anytime the meditation bell is rung, uh, you come back to the present moment. And I really like that. I think that's a, a really uh, beautiful practice. So if you get the, the Insight Meditation Timer, you can actually set it uh, to ring maybe every day at noon. And, uh, no matter what you're doing, wherever you are, you hear the bell ring. And you just take a couple of breaths just to come back to the present moment. And then go about whatever it was that you were doing. So that can be a really lovely practice. Uh, in some forms of Tibetan meditation, and I've given a couple of examples here in previous episodes, uh, the, the instructor or the leader will ring the meditation bell, and it's said that the practitioners then rest their thinking mind on the sound of the bell. 
And so allowing the sound of the bell as it decays down, and I kind of visualize it like that, like, a, like the sound, the bell tone at, when it's rung is like that, and then as it fades out like that, it fades, fades, fades into silence. And then that, that is as a way of guiding your thinking mind into that silent space. Like that. So I'll just give an example of that really quick. And so allowing the, the sound of the bell as it decays out and fades into silence, allowing it to, to show where that space is, to, to guide you into silence. And that's a really practice. I really like that. Um, and then it's also, of course, used to start and stop a session, as I often do, like that. And I think that's all. I wanted to say about the meditation bell. So thank you for that question. I answered uh, the questions that I received. Then I also received a few questions this week uh, in regards to falling asleep during meditation. And one question in particular that was quite interesting, what is the benefit of meditating as opposed to just sleeping? And that's an interesting question because sometimes when we meditate, if we meditate maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes, we wake up feeling refreshed and re-energized, recharged. Uh, but it almost feels like we maybe just taken a nap, quite similar. So why shouldn't I just take a nap? Why put the effort into learning this technique of following the breath, keeping the thoughts uh, quiet and so forth? Why do all of that? Why not just take a nap? Well, if you're sleeping, that's fine. And if, if, if you need to sleep, I, I, I do recommend sleep. Sleep deprivation or insomnia is horrible. It's a terrible affliction uh, that people suffer with. So um, if you find that you're coming to meditation, you're consistently just dozing off, maybe you do need to take a nap, and, and that's good. I recommend it. However, if you're choosing sleeping over meditation, you're not getting the full benefits of the meditation practice. Yes, meditation can help us feel refreshed and more awake, alert after a practice. Beautiful. But really what we're learning in meditation is much, much greater than that. That's just one of the early uh, benefits, the low-hanging fruit, if you will, of a practice. Uh, now, I've done episodes and written articles on the benefits of meditation, but I'll just touch on those here uh, since we're on the topic. Um, we're also learning how to rest in the experience of the present moment. Now that's quite important because meditation, if you're, you know, sitting in your room in a quiet area or maybe even on a beach or in, in a park, things are pretty, generally pretty peaceful. And that most often I think people seek out peaceful places to practice meditation. I think that's a good idea. So we practice cultivating this alert, tacit awareness 
in a meditation practice while there's not much else going on so that when we go into life, we can have that skill of being at rest yet alert. We can embrace the present moment yet remain calm at the same time even when things are happening around us because we take the time to just do that without anything happening around us. So we're in our, in our room meditating, uh, thoughts come, sensations arise in the body, uh, feelings arise, and we remain at rest. Letting thoughts go, letting emotions go, letting feelings go, and just staying at rest. Now you do that enough you go out into everyday life and now you've become quite skilled at remaining at rest with your experiences. So whenever ex whatever experiences come your way in your day-to-day -day experience, uh, you can keep that resting or remain at rest. You've cultivated that capacity to do that. Now that kind of skill, that kind of capacity you can't cultivate while you're asleep. Uh, just doesn't happen that way. So uh, that's just one of the uh, reasons why one might choose meditation over sleep. Okay, and now on to the main course, if you will, of, uh, of this program. Actually, I, d I did want to go back and talk a little bit about the meditation bell. I remembered something I, I wanted to say about it, about the Insight Meditation Timer, actually, because uh, on the timer itself, you can set interval bells. And this is really quite good if you're doing loving-kindness practice, because loving-kindness practice, the way we were doing it, the metta practice, where we go into the present moment through the breath, the body, and the sounds. And we offer those beautiful, beautiful phrases of loving kindness to our own heart. And then we do that for maybe 15 minutes and then we come back to the present moment. So there's three sections. Insight Meditation Timer is really great for that because you can set it in exactly how long you want each section to be. In fact, you can get even more uh, accurate with it. You can set it for how long each phrase. Uh, you want to rest with each phrase. So you can have it just for a minute or two minutes, and then the bell rings again, and then another two minutes or so, and then the bell rings again. So that really um, makes the uh, framework of the loving-kindness uh, practice very, very easy to follow. So again, I do recommend uh, Insight Meditation Timer. It's a free download. It doesn't cost you anything to get it. Uh, so there you go. Okay, on uh, to the, the main topic for today, which was uh, the topic of John Lennon's composition, Imagine. And I'm going get to talk a little bit about my own life uh, story, so I hope you'll indulge me in that. Uh, so when I was thinking about this talk or, you know, kind of contemplating how I wanted to approach it, I, I was struck by how much uh, music played such a, an important role. Uh, not only in my career, I, I was once upon a time a professional musician, um, but also um, how much music uh, was integral to my spiritual 
development and growth at a very early age. Now, I was seven years old uh, when Imagine first hit the airways. Uh, I was living on a sailboat at that time with my brother and my parents. And uh, my mom had an 8-track tape player. Some of you who are listening to this might even know what an 8-track player is. Uh, I'm sure many, many don't. <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's an obsolete form uh, of, uh, of music now, similar to a cassette, but much larger and clumsier. So my mom had a, a portable 8-track player. And she had bought John Lennon's Imagine recording and was playing it over and over again. And uh, the words to the song uh, were so embedded in my mind and, and really uh, became a part of me, a part of my uh, growth. Uh, and I attribute uh, this song to be one of my first kind of uh, spiritual teachings if you will. So a very special place in my heart. Now, in that, at that same era of my life, when I was about seven years old, we're living on this sailboat. Uh, this is kind of a funny story. So my brother and I were fighting one morning on the sailboat. We're out at sea. The, I remember the blue sky. We're, we're sailing, so, and we're actually going quite fast. We had a good wind. Uh, my brother and I woke up and we're fighting over the breakfast cereal. There's only enough breakfast cereal for, cereal for one of us. And I remember my brother and I were pulling the box back and forth, back and forth. And my mother <laughs> uh, grabbed the box and chucked it, threw it over the side of the boat and into the water. So none of us got the, got the cereal. And I remember... If I remember correctly, and this was many, many years ago now, but if I remember correctly, my brother and I thought that was so funny that we just started laughing and we forgot all about uh, the cereal. Now, I tell that story because that's actually kind of, uh, in a roundabout way, what John Lennon in his lyrics of Imagine. He took the three things that human beings fight about and he, he took them away and he threw them out. We can't fight about that anymore. Let's see what the world would be like. Let's see what our, our boat trip would be like without that box, without the box of religion, without the, without the on uh, land. Countries, bound borders, land wars, he talks about religious wars, and then the third thing he talks about is possessions, kind of similar to a breakfast cereal, if you will. Now, when we practice the loving-kindness practice that I uh, gave for a couple, I guess yesterday and then two days before that, I guided some meditations that are called metta meditations on loving-kindness. And in those practices, we go into the present moment and then we bring a phrase up into our heart. The first one I'll use for an example here, may I be happy. And then we visualize or imagine what our life would look like 
if we were completely 100% happy all of the time. And the reason why the practitioner is asked to do that type of visualization is that sometimes a resistance will come up. Oh, that'll never happen for me, the mind might say. Or, oh, I can't, you know, I'd be happy, but if only if this and this were happening, and if that wasn't happening, then I'd really be happy. So this shows us how we close off to our potential for happiness, those types of resistances. Now we might bring the phrase into our heart and there might be this opening. Beautiful. That means we're not resisting to that type of loving kindness. And that's why there are six phrases that goes through different types of loving kindness. So may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I live a life of peace without struggle, may I open to things just as they are, May I experience the world opening to me just as I am. May I welcome whatever arises. And so it goes through uh, kind of different angles of how one might uh, be experiencing loving kindness. And again, we either close down to those phrases or we open up. Or there might be some sort of neutral feeling too, but that's again just planting seeds for future loving kindness. We don't need to talk about that aspect today. So we envision this, may I be healthy, for example. Again, closing down, opening up, like that. So what if we did this with John Lennon's song, Imagine? Because he's asking us to visualize. He's saying, imagine all the people. Imagine a brotherhood of man. Now I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I don't believe that when he was putting this song together, when he was writing this song, he was just saying, oh, imagine that would be nice, wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> and you just let it go. Like, it just comes and it goes. No, I, I think he was really asking his listeners to really visualize what life would be like and what our life would look like if these things were completely reflective of the world circumstances, what would happen? What would that be like? And I really think that this could be a very profound practice. So the first stanza, the first four lines, and it is like a poem, so let's call it a stanza. That's a poetry talk. <laughs> uh, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. And now we could, we're not gonna do this today as a full practice, but we could spend about two minutes, three minutes, really visualizing what would the world look like without concepts of heaven and hell. How many lives would have been saved without the wars in the name of religion?
and I think it goes beyond religion. He's actually talking here about the concepts of good and evil. Is there a middle ground there? Is there, as Aristotle would have said, is there an unspoken middle ground, the gray area between heaven and hell? And so there he took the cereal box of religion and threw it over the side. Can't fight about that anymore. It's gone. Imagine that. In the next phrase, he says, Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. So he goes back. He brings up this idea of no religion again. And as Rumi would have said, after there's no religion, no nationality, no political ideology, just the breath-breathing human being. I love that. Just this breath-breathing human being, you and me. And so he's asking us to imagine that. What would the world be like if there was no borders to any country? Seems so uh, like such a far-fetched idea right now with the current world leadership. But really, if you've ever walked across a border What's the difference between stepping in Italy, you take one step over and you're in Switzerland? It's the same air, same water, same food, same soil, same trees, same snow, same flesh and blood. What would the world look like? Then our teacher, our sensei, yogi, Mr. Lennon, goes on to say, imagine 
no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. I would say a brotherhood of humans. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. We get so hung up in this idea of ownership. I worked hard for this, it's mine. <laughs> Where are you gonna take it in 50 years from now? Nothing's ours. We're just borrowing it for a little while. And yet it's that ownership, that sense of if I own this, it makes it better. That false, that illusion, that if I somehow own something, I am better, or more beautiful, or more handsome, or smarter, or I look more appealing, or I even feel greater. That's all illusion. And people get so hung up on addicted. They get one house and they get two houses, three houses, and four cars and a helicopter and a boat. And just down the street, people are starving. What if we can imagine that was impossible? What if we could imagine that that concept didn't exist? Now, I know people say, I'm a dreamer. But that thought is the resistance to this visualization. Those thoughts, oh, that'll never happen, that's impossible. That's all resistance. That's showing us where we're closing down to this loving kindness. If we can really imagine it and feel it, we actually can feel how good it would be. And the more we feel that, the more we practice that, feeling that way, the more likely we are to make steps to allow it to happen. And I really think that that's what Sir John Lennon was driving at. Well, he wasn't writing, just imagine this and it's a nice song and Oh, but that'll never happen. And then the next song comes on. Really imagine this. Really visualize what life, the world, would look like and feel like if these phrases in this song were completely reflective of the world's circumstances. It's okay that it, maybe it'll never happen. It's okay. That doesn't matter. In this practice, we practice suspending our disbelief as if we were watching a Disney movie, right? We go to see a Disney movie, we see two very cute dogs uh, eating pasta together and their, their noodle gets stuck and they end up. <laughs> we, we don't have any problem with disbelief when we're watching a Disney movie, right? So similar thing, just allowing these lyrics to bring this imagery 
feeling in our hearts and our minds what this song is getting at. Because the more we do that, we takes baby steps maybe, but the more we do that, the closer we become, the closer we get to bringing these beautiful, this beautiful imagery to life. And that's how anything comes to, into the manifest world, right? We imagine it, we take the steps to create it, and we bring it into manifestation out of the unmanifest. That's how everything is born. We imagine it, think about how it can be done, create it, bring it up into the world. So why can't we do the same with world peace? Why can't we do the same with loving kindness? We can, actually. It's just that we're, we're so taught to believe that it's not possible, but it is possible. And it's just those, just those voices that tell us it can't happen, those voices are what keep it from happening. So I think that's all I'm going to say today about that. I'll be back tomorrow uh, guiding a meditation. This will be a different but on loving kindness. This is from the Tibetan tradition. It's an energy transformation practice. And actually, technically, it's an energy transmutation practice. Um, and it, it, uh, we do some visualization. We... Uh, bring our awareness into the body and we cultivate a, a radiant energy of loving kindness in the air. And then we gradually expand it out through the body and then we send it out to the rest of the world. It's actually a really, really uh, beautiful, this very um, energizing. Uh, and uh, I've had a lot of positive response with my students with this one. So hope you'll join me for that. Just another angle on cultivating loving kindness. Stay safe, stay healthy, please, please, please wear your masks, practice your social distancing when possible, and uh, we will flatten the curves, we will uh, come out of this together. So thank you very much for joining me, we'll see you tomorrow. Have a great Friday.